Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lamumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. And great morning. I am Tanja Murphy, Community Engagement Coordinator with the Mississippi Book Festival. And I am excited that you are joining us for Kid Note with author Nick Stone. We would like to thank the following generous funders for making this program possible. The James and Madeline McMullen Family Foundation, the Phil Harden Foundation, and Terry Hunt and Dick Marples. We would also like to thank the following districts and schools for being with us today. Jackson Public School District, Jefferson County School District, Mississippi School for the Deaf and Blind, Midtown Public Charter School, New Jerusalem Christian School, and Tate County School District. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our guest and friend to the Mississippi Book Festival, author Nick Stone. Nick Stone was born and raised in a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia, and the only thing she loves more than an adventure is a good story about one. After graduating from Spelman College, she worked extensively in team mentoring and lived in Israel for a few years before returning to the U.S. to write full-time. Growing up with a wide range of cultures, religions, and background, Stone strives to bring these diverse voices and stories to her work. You can find her goofing off and or fangirling over her adorable little family on most social media platforms. So, Nick, I got a question about the book. You want me to hop yes, back ma'am, on? Ms. Tanja. Yeah, you want me to hop back on and ask you some questions at the end? Sure, absolutely. Okay. That's, that some works good for me. Questions from scholars all over the state. Welcome, Miss Nick Stone. Why the crowd goes wild. I am very excited to be here with y'all. Well, sort of here with you. I mean, I was planning to be there in person, though you still would have seen me on video, but like I was planning to be in Mississippi this weekend for the Mississippi Book Festival. It is one of my favorite book festivals. And when we are all allowed to go back outside and play, hopefully it will happen again. And I'll get to meet some of you beautiful young people and like see your faces and sign books for you and all that fun stuff. But sadly, circumstances being what they are, I'm coming to you from my dining room in Atlanta, Georgia. But we're here to talk about Clean Getaway, which is one of my favorite books that I've written, um, I don't know if it's weird to say that, hopefully it's not, but you know, you, you create things and sometimes some of the things that you create, you like a little bit more than other things. So this is definitely one of the things that I've created that I like a little bit more than some of the other things I've created. So why I decided to write Clean Getaway, we'll just jump right in with this. The story here is probably gonna be a little different than you're expecting. I was on Twitter one day Side note, do not suggest going on Twitter. It is like the wild, wild west on there. But I happened to be on there one day and I saw a tweet about a woman here in Atlanta who had gotten arrested for trying to steal jewelry from a jewelry store here. Um, I think she was trying to steal a diamond bracelet. She got caught trying to steal a diamond bracelet and they arrested her, which obviously, right, if you get caught trying to steal something, 
you're probably going to get arrested. The thing that was interesting about this lady is that she was 86 years old. So like, she's my grandma's age. And first of all, I'm like, wait a minute, grandma's like steal jewelry? Hmm. And then I was like, they arrest grandmas who steal jewelry? I was very, very confused. So what I decided I was going to do, it made me want to explore a little bit more about this particular woman. It turns out her name is Doris Payne and she's still alive. And Doris Payne has actually been stealing jewelry. She made a career out of stealing jewelry. She started stealing jewelry when she was in her 20s, which would have been like, let's see, y'all help me do this math. So she's in her 80s now, in the 20, in like 2020, she was in her 80s. So we take away 20 years. It would have made her 60 at the turn of the millennium. So she started stealing jewelry in probably the 1950s, the late 1950s or early 1960s, which was a really interesting time in this country, right? So I learned more about her. I learned that, you know, she's been a jewel thief internationally since the 1950s, 1960s. And it made me really think about that time period and what it would be like to have a grandma who at one point maybe had a completely different life than you know about, right? So what I decided to do, originally I was going to write this book um, and make it about a teenager, a high schooler who goes on a jewelry heist with her grandmother, which had the potential to be cool, but I don't know. It felt like I'd be missing an opportunity if I didn't make it about somebody who was younger. So that's where Scoob came from. Scoob. I wound up picking um, a, a boy named Scoob, largely because, well, number one, that's who popped into my head once I decided to scrap the whole heist with your grandma idea. But also because I have two sons. My sons are nine. I have a, a kid who will be starting fourth grade uh, on September 1st. And I have a kindergartner. And both of my kids, obviously, they have a grandmother who is white. They have a, a, a Russian grandmother. So my husband's mother is Russian. His father's Nigerian, so he's biracial. So when I was thinking about this story and thinking about the time frame when Doris Payne would have been stealing jewelry, it made me think about that time in American history. So the late 1950s, early 1960s, this is the thick of the civil rights movement, right? So this is when Jim Crow is still a thing. So there's segregation everywhere especially where we both are. So y'all are in this, y'all are in Mississippi, I'm in Georgia. All across our states, it was completely illegal for people who look like me and people who look like our lovely interpreter here to even share space. So there were separate water fountains, separate bathrooms. Black people had to sit in the back of the bus. Like it was just a very different time. And I thought about what if my mother-in-law had been alive during that time? She was married to a black man which at that time was literally illegal. So it got me thinking about this kid who would then be the grandchild of a woman who was in an illegal relationship in the 1960s. Once I started thinking about the whole jewelry thing, it kind of all came together. So really what I wound up with was a story that's about not only the relationship between a grandmother and a grandson, but it's about how there are things about our heroes, people that are older than us, that we just don't know. It's about coming to grips with the humanity of older people in your life that you care a lot about and recognizing that there may be things in these people's lives that you don't know about. Um, I wound up having really great conversations with my own grandmother 
about her life and about what life was like for her when she was a kid. She told me this really funny story about being younger and mimicking an aunt of hers who used to stuff chewing tobacco (laughs) in her lower lip. And so she would, they would take coffee grounds and they would stuff coffee grounds in their lower lip to mimic this aunt. And they all wound up having black teeth (laughs) from sticking coffee grounds in their lower lip and just sitting with it, having black teeth and being really, really hyper because obviously coffee has caffeine in it. So learning even that about my grandmother and it gave me this opportunity to see and to imagine what she might've been like when she was a kid and what she might've been like at my age. And that's a really important thing for us to do because it helps us to stay connected to the people in our lives who are older than us. The other thing about Clean Getaway that I think is really important for readers, especially young readers to take away, is coming to realize that you have a little bit more power than you think. Um, In this book, I won't spoil it for those of you who haven't read it, but in this book, you have this young man who's 11 years old, and all of a sudden he finds himself privy to this really interesting information. And he has to decide what he's going to do with it. So once he learns these things about people that he's known and loved his whole life, he gets to choose whether or not he's going to share that information. He gets to choose how he's going to look at this person that he learned this information about. And those are decisions that are you, you'll have to make. You know, Once you hit fifth or sixth grade, all of a sudden you'll start learning things about the people around you that make you wonder about them. So when that happens, remember that you get to decide how you're going to respond. And you also get to decide what you're going to do with the information. So I want to make sure that I leave a lot of time for questions because questions are always my favorite part of this thing. What I want to do now is I want to read a passage from the book. And I promise once we get to the questions, it's going to be a lot more fun. But I'm going to try to keep this from being boring. So this is the book. I'm going to be reading from page 32. I'll be reading from page 32 to part of 36, if any of you have the book and want to follow along. So I'll be starting um, at the third paragraph here. By the time they get back to Gmod's new sweet ride, there's a dull ache in Scoob's right arm. But all he can think about is that phrase, for vacation without aggravation, and that boat on a calm water beneath those fluffy clouds. That is, until they're inside the RV, where the light is brighter. Oh, Jima shouts, startling Scoob. Oh, 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 that needs to be cleaned immediately. Come on. When Scoob looks at his arm and sees the lines of dried blood that have run down over his hand from a nasty-looking cut near his elbow, the dull ache explodes into a burning throb. Oh, put that bag down. Jima orders, and as soon as he does, she's dragging him over to the kitchenette sink by his good arm and washing her hands. Then she shoves his arm underneath the warm water. It takes the force of Thor to keep his jaw clenched so he doesn't scream like a giant baby. In fact, said jaw is aching by the time Jima finishes with the rubbing alcohol and weird-colored betadine and bag balm for chapped cow udders. By the time the nickel-sized cut is bandaged, Scoob's exhausted. He collapses into the dining booth and looks up at the overcab bunk where he's supposed to sleep. What if he rolls off? Hot cocoa? Jima asks. Scoob shakes his head. No thanks, Jima. I think I'm going to call it a night. All right. Well, before you go, she unzips Scoob's backpack and pulls the treasure box out. 
digs around and stretches out a photo to him. That's your G-pop, she says. Keep that with your green book. Of course, now he can't sleep. Between the photo and the book, Scoob's thoughts are whipping around faster than a load of clothes in their front-loading washing machine during the spin cycle, something he typically loves watching but is queasy about now. In the photo, G-pop is leaned against what looks like a white box on wheels with a big green W up under the driver window. Scoob is guessing this is the Winnebago Gma mentioned earlier, though it's clearly the great-great-grandparent model of the motorhome where Scoob is currently stretched out in his bed staring at the picture. Scoob brings the photo closer to his face. G-pop was tall and string beanie, a shade darker than Scoob, so two shades darker than dad. Scoob can see his dear old dad all up in G-pop's face, though dad is currently older than G-pop was in this picture. So it's almost looking like a younger, darker-skinned dad. And it makes Scoob wonder if this is what he'll look like in a decade and a half or so. People are always telling him he's the spitting image of dad, which is kind of nasty, but whatever. It's weird looking at his grandfather. In almost 12 years, this is the first photo Scoob's ever seen of the guy. He never really even heard Gma talk about the dude before tonight, which... Now that he thinks about it, probably isn't normal. He never questioned it before because dad always said the old man had, the old man had been a non-entity since before dad was actually born. But from the beans Gma spilled all over the top of Alabama, Scoob now knows that James Lamar Sr. was quite the entity, especially to her, his darling wife, Ruby Jean. What Gma told him through her tears and a little snot and drool too. In 1968, she and G-Pop bought an RV. They planned to drive from their home in Georgia across five Southern states and straight into Mexico. On her maps, which are all in the treasure chest, Gma marked the stuff she wanted to see along the way, but they'd had to skip most of her chosen sites because Gma is a white lady, but your G-Pop was a Negro, as we used to say back then. Chiaha Mountain had been the first stop she wanted to make, but when they got to the turnoff for the drive to the top, G-Pop told her there was no way they'd be able to park up there without people messing with them. Scoob puts, puts the picture aside and picks up the green booklet, reads the words just inside the front cover, assured protection for the Negro traveler, skims the intro page, which outlines state by state statutes on discrimination as they apply to public accommodations or recreation, then flips to the Alabama section. Scoob knows Aniston is the closest city to where they are now, and it's not in the book at all, which means there was nowhere safe for Black people to stay around here back when Gma and G-Pop took their trip, so they drove past. The journey Scoob and Gma are on now, according to her, it's my chance at redemption to finish what your G-pop and I started 51 years ago. And while she doesn't go into detail, she does tell Scoob they never made it to Mexico. So what I just read was quite a doozy, I'm sure. Um, the things that I want to point out here. So on the cover of this book, there's a little green book, right? So this green book is called the Negro Traveler's Green Book. It was a small booklet that was published between... 
I think the first one was probably published in the, it's either the 1930s or 1940s, but it was published through late 1968 through the civil rights movement. And in this book, as is mentioned in Clean Getaway, people who wanted to travel, Black people who wanted to travel would have a list of places it would be safe for them to stop for gas, to stop for lodging, to stop for food, because during that time, it wasn't safe everywhere for Black people. A lot of the time, it wasn't safe for Black people to travel at all. So as Scoob is on this journey, learning things about his grandmother, he's also learning things about the world that she inhabited, which it's the same world that he inhabits now, but it looked and functioned a little bit differently. So they go up this mountain that she wanted to visit and he gets a cut on his arm. He trips and he cuts his arm. And that's where I started the reading. What, the last thing I want to say about Clean Getaway before we jump into your questions um, is I wrote Clean Getaway because I really wanted to help people like you, young people like you, connect the past with the present. There's a lot of very interesting things going on in our country right now, especially when it comes to kindergarten through 12th grade education. There are a lot of laws being passed and rules being made about what teachers are and are not allowed to talk about in the classroom. And one of the things that's getting cut out is history, um, which is kind of weird, right? Like, isn't it weird that your teachers may not be allowed to teach you actual history from that's like written down. So I write books like this so that the history that a lot of people don't want to talk about is presented to you in a way that you can not only understand, but that you can connect with. So my hope is that as you read Clean Getaway, if you haven't yet, you not only learn something, but you connect with Scoob and you connect with his journey and you realize that you get to decide what you believe about yourself and what you're going to believe about the world. Yay! Okay, I think it's a good time to do some questions, especially since they came from you. So I want to talk about things that y'all actually want to hear about. And that's what we're going to do now. Okay, so first, thank you so much, because I am sure the students were inspired. I love the way that you break down, you know, why you wrote it, uh, your inspiration and all those things. So that was just great. So I have to say that first. And I also have to say that. You did an in-person signing in Mississippi when it came out. I was I there and you wrote in the book, Buckle Up. And I will encourage the students when they're reading, Buckle Up, because it is definitely a ride, definitely a ride. So let's jump into the questions because these are great questions uh, from the students. So first question, why did you decide to make the main character a boy instead of a girl like yourself? Yes, so I get this question all the time because a lot of the books I write are about boys. Um, the answer to this is that for some reason, I find it a little easier to write boys than I do girls. I mean like, so, okay, my husband once told me that boys are like, their brains are like spaghetti. And girls, and obviously we're just talking about like boys and girls, like their gender is very complicated, but we'll, we'll roll with this for now. So boys' brains are like waffles, right? There are boxes that you guys can like hop from. So you have like your school box, there's your video game box, there's your 
that person in my class is cute and I have a crush box. There's all of these tiny little boxes. And apparently boys also have a nothing box where you can just go into the box and literally think about nothing. Yeah. Girls, on the other hand, we have brains like spaghetti noodles. And so you pick up one spaghetti noodle, three or four other noodles are coming up at the yeah. same time. So there's a lot more all of this going on in girl brains. And I will tell you, though, um, I'm going to read a couple of sentences. I'll read the first sentence of this book for a reason, I promise. Um, it might sound silly, but to William Scoob Lamar, the welcome to Alabama, the beautiful sign looks, well, beautiful. Not as beautiful as his best friend, Shanice Lockwood, in her yellow sundress, but beautiful enough to make Scoob tip his head back, close his eyes, and sigh into the breeze blowing through the open passenger side window of Gmas Winnebago. So, I just mentioned a girl, Shanice Lockwood. There's a book about Shanice Lockwood coming out in a couple of weeks. So I do write about girls, but this one I wrote about Scoob largely because I have sons um, and because writing boys is, is, it comes more naturally to me for some reason. That's the beauty of writing though. You just never know what's going to come out when you sit down to write. Okay, next question. When you were writing the story, what did you learn about yourself in the process? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I would say, yeah, it is. I would say the main thing I learned about myself is that it's important for me to make sure that I'm making the effort to connect with the people in my life who are older than me and who are still alive. So I have one living grandparent. Um, her name is Glenda and she's 87. Uh, and she is, she's about four foot 10. And she's got like the throwing aim of Tom Brady. So even now I'm 36 years old. If I step out of line, my grandmother will pick up the closest thing to her and throw it. And it is going to hit me like zero doubt because oh, she's wow. just got that kind of accuracy. <laughs> but sitting down and talking to her and learning about her life, learning about my family and my background. That's one of the things I learned from writing this book is how important it is to do that. Because, you know, we're kind of, we're carrying on a legacy from the people who came before us, even, even kids who are adopted, talk to your adopted, your adoptive grandparents, find out about their lives. Because even though, you know, your, their blood might not be running through your veins, there's so much of them that is going to be a part of you simply because they pass down what's in them to their children who are now your parents, you know? So getting to know the people who are leading you through life is really important. Okay. What do you like about writing? Guys, I literally get paid to sit and make <laughs> stuff up all day long. Like, oh, wow. that's what I do. I sit and I like, okay, so today I'm wearing a Venom shirt, right? So Venom okay. is um, from Spider-Man. He's like, sometimes he's a villain, sometimes he's helping Spider-Man. But I get to make up stories about Venom. Like, I literally get to sit down and I spend all day writing things. It's like nothing I've ever done before. Um, and it's a thing that I couldn't not do. Like writing, if I couldn't write, I just wouldn't be okay. Uh, my head is always spinning with stories and ideas and I have to get them out of me and onto paper 
in order to just feel like myself. Um, but there's nothing like getting to imagine something and then bring it to life and you bring it to life in a book, people can read it. And then they're getting to see the thing that you were imagining. They're getting to interact with your imagination. And there's a connection that forms between people through books. So those are the things about writing that I love the most, but just getting to do it as a job is probably at the top of the list. I love what you said about interacting with your imagination. That is, yeah. that is so, that is so powerful. So powerful. Next question. What inspired you to become an author? So when I was y'all's age, as I'm sure you've heard your parents say, when they're telling you to do something, you're not supposed like, they're telling you about, they're trying to make you sound like you're not appreciative of something. Cause I do it to my kids all the time. When I was your age, I didn't have an iPad. When I was your age, I didn't have books that had kids like me in them. Mm-hmm. Um, the books that I read when I was in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade were all about kids who didn't look like me and kids whose lives were nothing like mine. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how negatively that was impacting me until I got to high school and came to realize that I was never really seeing myself in the stories that everybody was told they had to read, which made me wonder about my own existence, right? Because like, think about it. We're told that reading is fundamental and we have to read books for class and we have to learn these different things about reading and writing and communicating. But if this is such a fundamental thing, why are people like me never represented in it, right? Like, does that mean that the only things, the only people who are important or who are fundamental are white? That's, that's the message that I got when I was a kid. So as I got older, first of all, it took me a while to realize that writing was something I could do. Um, I was probably, I was 27 when I decided that I could sit down and try to write a book. Wow. And part of the reason it took me so long is because I never saw anybody who looked like me writing books. i never saw anybody who looked like me in books. So I finally read a book called uh, Divergent. Mm-hmm. The author's name is Veronica Ross. There's a, there's like a movie trilogy um, about like that are, that's related to these books. And that was the first time I saw an African-American female character in a book that I could identify with. And that's what made me feel like, and made me realize that like, wait a minute, I can maybe try this. Like I'm not seeing myself in stuff. So maybe I can write myself into things. And that's the reason I became an author because I didn't want my kids to have the same experience that I did. And I also discovered that I really like storytelling. Like it's, it's a lot of fun. Okay. And this, this is another question that I loved, you know, seeing when we, when we got this question in from a scholar. The question is, your book made me cry in a good way. All the feels. <laughs> what is the first book that made you cry? So I was 28 the first time I read a book that made me cry. Uh, it's a book called I'll Give You the Sun. The author's name is Jandy Nelson, and it's about a a set of twins basically going through some things. And I don't know what it was about that book that made me cry, but I like sobbed like a baby. I also cried reading um, The Fault in Our Stars. I'm Mm -hmm. totally aging myself here, but like this is a book that came out in like 2009 or 2010, um, and it was about two kids who fall in love both while dealing with cancer I sobbed reading that book I'm trying to think what's the most recent book to make me cry 
Yeah, I read so many books. I can't even remember. Like, it'll come to me. If it comes to me, I'll tell you. Okay, so I have a follow-up question to that one. What is a book that you were reading and it was just so good and touched you so much, you had to put it down before you could continue reading? You had to just stop. Yeah, so one of my heroes and actually a really good friend of mine, his name is Jason Reynolds. Mm -hmm. So Jason Reynolds wrote a book called As Brave As View. Mm -hmm. And I remember starting to read this book and just being so gripped by the story, but also needing to take breaks just to digest what was going on. That's the sign of a good book. If you're reading a book and you have to pause to be like, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. this thing is really making me think. For me, that's the sign of a good book. Um, And I loved that book so much because not only did it, Not only did it show a young black boy from New York having to come down to the South and and live and work on his grandparents' farm, it also showed relationships between um, kids and grandparents, and it gave some insight into the life of a blind person. So As Brave As You is a book that I cannot recommend more highly. I absolutely love it. Okay, okay. So how do you suggest we find our voice as we develop our writing skills? Oh, that's a beautiful question. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I will say to this is something you guys are not going to like hearing, but you have to learn the rules and show that you can follow them in order to break them effectively. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that, I actually love grammar, but I hated grammar when I was younger because I hated that there were all of these rules and like there has to be a comma when you're doing this here and these quotation marks have to be here and this has to be capitalized, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is, if I hadn't worked so hard to learn those rules when they were being taught to me, my writing would be a mess now. So the thing about something like writing is the rules exist because it gives you a framework in which to get creative right? The same thing is true of painting. If you take blue and you mix it with orange, you're going to get like a muddy brown. Meanwhile, taking blue and mixing it with red gives you purple, right? So they're like, there are color laws that, that determine how we're able to mix colors. It's the same thing with writing. There are these rules that give you this framework that helps you figure out how you're going to express yourself. Once you're learning the rules and once you've gotten a grip on the rules, you just have at it, you know? There is no wrong way to tell a story. If you are getting the story across, people understand what you're saying. They get the point of what you mean and they get some kind of enjoyment, some kind of emotional reaction out of what you created. You've not only found your voice, you've done your job. So as you guys are writing and I like as often as you can, just write for fun. I know it probably doesn't sound fun. But if you think about it, if you just sit down for five minutes twice a week and write whatever comes into your head, Mm -hmm. you have no idea how much that will impact your writing. We used to do that when I was in high school. I had a teacher who Tuesdays and Thursdays, first five minutes of class, we would do a free write. You just sat and you just wrote down whatever came to mind. Mm -hmm. And it helped me realize how much I actually enjoyed writing and how much I could express and how validating it was for me to express these things on paper. It's a way to make yourself feel good, honestly. So learn the rules so that you can break them effectively and then write what you want to write. I think read what you want to read too. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Definitely read what you want to read. Read what you want to read. Yeah. 
Okay. So next question. As a proud Black deaf female, I have a hard time finding representation in different forms of media. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give someone who wants to one day write stories based on real life experiences? Start. That's my advice. Why wait till one day? You could do it now. Yeah, you can do it now. I'm actually, um, I'm so not supposed to talk about this, so don't tell anybody, but I'm working on a book. Oh, wait a minute. We're telling a lot of students right now. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Nick Stone is working on a book about um, uh, a deaf black boy and oh, his wow. best friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's wow. fun. It, it's it'll it's white involves skateboarding and yeah. Oh wow! Oh wow! So the representation wow. is coming, but also make sure you're writing for yourself. You get to tell your own story. No one can stop you. Oh wow! Oh wow! So last question. You know I love questions about what's coming, so maybe you can spill a little bit about what's coming in a few weeks. Will you write a sequel to this book? So I kind of did. It's not exactly a sequel. It's more a companion novel. So what what we call a companion novel Mm -hmm. is, so you have a story and you'll meet a character in the story that then gets their own book. And that's what I did with this. So Shanice, Mm-hmm. Um, is she's she's Scoob's best friend, but she's also a girl that he has a crush on. Um, and she is getting her own book, and it comes out on August thirty first. So her book is called Fast Pitch because Shanice is a softball player, and like a really really good one. She's the captain of a softball team. She, it's like the first all black softball team in her league, and she's trying to lead her team to the league championship. Um, but during the process, like just when they get into the, into the tournament for the state, excuse me, y'all, just when they get into the tournament for the state, she has an encounter with her great grand uncle, right? So this is her great grandfather's little brother. And her, his name is Uncle Jack. Uncle Jack tells her that her great grandfather's baseball career wound up getting cut short because he was framed for a crime that he didn't commit. So while trying to lead her team to this championship, Shanice also finds herself trying to solve this mystery for her family. And it's really a retelling of The Sandlot, which is my favorite movie of all time ever. If you guys haven't seen that, have your parents turn it on for you because I guarantee your parents have seen it. Um, And it's a really great movie about baseball and these kids kind of taking in this new kid in the neighborhood through baseball and they lose something and have to recover it. So there's a lot of that in in fast pitch, but it's also really about deciding what your priorities are going to be. I'm really excited for it to come out too. Um, It might be said that you're going to see this guy somewhere in that book. At least once. Come on in somewhere. Scoop, Scoop might make an appearance or two. You might make an appearance. So I, I will say, so people need to pick up clean getaway, get it read, and then get fast pitch at the end of the month. Yes. So I've seen the, the cover art and I've seen how you did a little cosplay with the cover. I did. And yes. uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. So scholars, 
that are on and you're listening, make sure you read both books. Now, Nick, would you like to talk a little bit about some of your other books? Yeah, sure. So my favorite other books that are aimed at people your age, mm-hmm. amazing human beings that are between like eight and 14 mm-hmm. um, are written for Marvel. They're written for Marvel Comics and they are prose novels about Shuri, the little sister of the Black Panther. Uh, so the third one of those comes out in January and I'll show you something else that you're not supposed to see, okay. but it's fine. Show it to us. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to show it to you. And so in these books, Shuri is 13. And basically the cool thing about them, the cool thing about even getting to do this project is that I'm getting to create backstory for a character that didn't exist. Like we, the first time we really meet Shuri in the, in the comic world, she's like 19 or 20. And then in the films, she's 16 or 17. So me getting to write her at 13, I'm getting to create kind of how she became who she is. So this is the cover Uh-oh. for the third one. And it's also why I'm wearing the shirt that I'm wearing today. Ooh, nice. Isn't it so cool? Yes, and the, um, the words will be green. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. I have so much fun writing these books. So yes, they are, of course, superhero books. Mm-hmm. Shuri herself is technically not a superhero, but she is a superhero in her own right. She's very smart. She's an inventor. She loves science. She figures out ways to use materials that other people aren't even thinking about. And getting to tell stories about her is so much fun. So definitely recommend that you guys find the Shuri books. Here are the other two. And, uh, and check those out. So I've read the first one. And one of the things that I like about the first one is is that she was really finding herself in middle school. Like what she was yes. and accomplishing, she was a middle school student. And so it was, was just, a middle schooler. Just great. Just, just great. And, um, you know, I want uh, students, uh, you know, elementary and middle school to see themselves in that book. You don't have to wait until you're high school or college. Those no. are things that... You can make a, an impact on the world, on your city. Yes. Now, you don't have to wait. So I would I would recommend, you know, reading the Sherry books as well. Thank so, you. Yes. Do you have any um, anything else you would like to share with us before I make a announcement? Because I do have a huge announcement. Huge announcement. Oh, a huge announcement. Um, not really. I don't think I really have anything else. I just want to encourage you guys to read as much as possible and read whatever makes you feel good to read. You know, like obviously there will be things you have to read for school, but also find the stuff that you just enjoy reading. Um, reading can be a lot of fun if you find the right book. So Again, thank you, Nick, for being with us. So as an added gift to support literacy in schools all across the state, copies, copies with an S, several S's of Clean Getaway will be donated to the libraries of all schools joining us today. I want to thank the Mississippi Book Festival uh, for, you know, just saying that, you know, we want to encourage and engage uh, readers. Uh, Nick, thank you. 
And I want to encourage everyone, keep reading and keep yes. engaging with books. Yes. And thank you so much. And everyone, you all have a great day. Yes. Have a great day, friends. And a great week and a great school year. Because I know it's been a weird one already. But y'all got this. All right. We got it. Thank you so much, Nick. (laughs) Bye, friends. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party. 